1: Afternoon. So here we are. First day, silent retreat, New Year's, two thousand. They all just blend together, you know. Does anybody else have a deja vu? (laughs) (coughs) Um, Some of you are new on retreat. Um, This is an interesting retreat because most of you have quite a bit of retreat experience. Uh, But some of you are new and one of the things I always remind people about retreat... Maybe we should shut the door so we don't listen to Gretchen. Yeah. One of the things I always remind people about retreat is um, there's levels to it. And like I said yesterday, you know, don't stay on the superficial level. Sometimes the first retreat is, wow, I signed up for a meditation retreat, but I didn't know we would meditate. (laughs) (laughs) So it can just be getting used to that. Or I didn't know there would be other people. in close proximity. And I looked up Oryoki on YouTube, but I didn't connect. You know. <laughs> or maybe the uh, last time you were at retreat, it was a life-changing experience. And maybe it was dramatic. And maybe this time it's not. But uh, if you imagine Andrea teaching movement and being in the room downstairs, she could probably look at every one of us and in three seconds see a lot about who we are. If you teach yoga you can put someone in downward dog and in three seconds you can probably see most of their practice. So likewise on retreat uh, there are many layers to retreat but It takes a long time to start to see those layers. And then you get to another level. I don't like using the term level, but you do get to another level and you say, Wow, I had no idea there was this whole other landscape here. I always thought we were just eating out of bowls. (laughs) I didn't know that that was meditation practice. I thought that was just trying to keep up with everybody. So we're so blessed that we can be here. The land's pretty good. Not enough snow. The building's pretty good. A little bit too big. The zendo's perfect. Also a little big. Nothing's perfect. And also, it's all perfect. And we can be here in this environment together and practice together. And when you come on retreat, all of these different forms and these different practice, they start to unknit us. Our consciousness is knit together in very habitual ways. Kind of like, you know the relatives you have who have a radio on in one room and a television in the next room? You walk through their house or their apartment and there's media going and, oh, maybe that's your house. (laughs) Or kids now in high school, a lot of teachers complain about kids wearing earphones that are not even, their phone's not even on, they've got their airport on. But they keep their earphones on just to stay plugged in. Well, we're all like this, you know. We're we're knitted together in these ways that this practice will slowly start to undo. And sometimes on the first day of retreat, it's a little bit disorienting. But we need to be here because it's really hard to maintain a deep practice in our life because of uh, consumerism, because of the superficial all the time. It's hard to be wholeheartedly in our practice. There's also these things called colleagues Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which really mess up our practice. Or maybe just sometimes the need to belong that dominates our consciousness so much because many of us are in communities where we don't feel we belong. So we come here to have extended time of practice and just to calm the waters and to see what's there, what's really there. So I encourage you when you're here to know what it's like to calm the waters and not to just stick one toe in. But just to let the practice go through your whole body, through your heart, to penetrate your mind. And usually the Dharma talks on retreat, I choose a theme or a text and we we study it. Um, last uh, summer in France and here in New York, we studied the ox herding pictures, which was really great and uh, fun. Rose gave a wonderful talk. Um, I decided this year not to follow a theme, and instead the theme will be how to practice on retreat. And I will keep the talks to nuts and bolts, uh, how-to language, so that uh, all of us can drop a little deeper into um, ways of practicing on retreat, even though nobody can ever explain what practices. I hope you've never tried.
0: <laughs>
1: but what you can do is you can sort of map out ways of practicing in this environment. And so the first thing I want to mention is walking. When you walk around in this building, to be aware of how your foot meets the ground. This summer we spent quite a bit of time talking about walking meditation and to explore this relationship between the foot meeting the ground and the ground meeting the foot. Normally in our ocular perspective, we, and because of gravity, we feel that the foot lands on the ground and we walk on the earth, but uh, that's not how it is. So from the perspective of practice, is in the same way that the foot is meeting the earth, the earth is coming to meet the foot exactly the same time they happen together. And if it's not your heel landing strongly in the floor, you will start to feel this in the bones of your feet. So let your heel land softly on the floor and let the bones of your foot receive the floor. I noticed this this morning in moving through the space downstairs, how it all got quieter and quieter. The more we crossed the floor, the more sensitive we were to the space, to the way the body moves in the space. So your heel shouldn't take all of your weight, and you you want to spread your foot on the floor when you walk. So um, put up your hand if you're one of the people at the ends of the table who have to get up during Orioki. Yeah. So this is going to be your meditation practice during Orioki is when you get up to go pick up the food, to pay attention to your feet on the floor. To notice how you're walking. Sometimes we think, oh, my job is I have to go get the food, and the mind is already there. But if you pay attention to how the floor meets your foot when you go to get the food, the food will come to you. You'll just be paying attention to the walking and next thing you know, the food will come to you and you'll be holding the pot. (laughs) And you can ask yourself, when I'm walking, am I creating a disturbance in my body when I'm walking? Or if you're holding a bowl of soup, which you will tonight? Am I creating a disturbance in the soup when I'm walking? Or can I press peace into the floor and into the body and into the soup when I'm walking? And you do this in a way where you're interested, not in a way where you're berating yourself. Like, oh God, I'm getting up, everybody's watching me, I have to do the special walking. (laughs) Well, we are watching you and you have to do the special walking. This is also true with the sensitivity of bowing. Uh, When you bow, you're bowing with your body. And it's really important uh, when two people are bowing that it syncs up. Because if two people are bowing, so so let's say you pass the bowl. This This is true walking down the hall or wherever. But you put the bowl on the table. And when two people bow, it doesn't make sense if the bow isn't in sync. Nothing happens. So when you're bowing with someone else, the two of you should meet at the bottom of the bow. There's a moment of meeting. So you put down the bowl of soup or whatever, and as you're bowing, they're bowing, and you want to sink it so that you both meet at the bottom of the bow. If you're walking down the hall, and somebody's walking near you, and you put your hands in gosho to bow, try and sink the bow so that you both meet at the bottom bottom of the bow. Otherwise, uh, you're missing each other, and we're always missing each other. So on retreat, we practice not missing each other. You know what that's like when you try to connect with someone and they're not there. Well, we don't want to replicate that here. And so bowing is one way of really being intentional about uh, how we're meeting other people. How we're meeting ourselves. It is possible to appreciate others. You don't have to think about it, actually. If you just sink the bow, you'll start to feel this. I promise you'll start to feel this. Um, Are you going to play piano? (laughs) (laughs) When you go in and out of your room, please take really good care. Wow, that strong ginger tea. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Was that a joke? Please take really good care with um, your door. When you close your door, look at the door. Look at the knob and close the door really quietly and intentionally close the door. Imagine what this retreat would be like if we all had undivided attention when we opened and closed the doors. The kind of mindfulness atmosphere that we can create if we don't miss each other. And when we open and close doors, we're opening and closing doors without separation. We're right there. Door opens, door closes, and it's quiet. If you're going to lock your door, use two hands. Lock your door. Undivided attention. When you pick up your eating bowls, it should be really quiet. It's starting to happen a little bit, mostly for people that I'm staring at. (laughs) If you put your thumbs in parallel inside the bowl and you put just enough pressure, then you can lift the bowl very quietly. And one of the reasons why we take all the cloth into a fist is so that you can have your thumbs available, so that you can move your bowls. And we put them down really quietly. And that's what we do here. We notice where we've drifted off, we bow, and we come back again. Over and over and over again. So that we're in the totality of the experience that's happening right now. And we adjust ourselves accordingly. If you are the cleaning manager, who's the cleaning manager? Ian. And like something's not going right, then um, you pay attention to the situation right now and you respond. You don't compare it to how you think it's supposed to go. You just deal in the moment. You don't say, this is right or this is wrong. Do you know that mindset? Like, right away, oh, this is right, oh, this is wrong. <laughs> and they always come on the heels of each other. If you're having trouble in the meditation because your body is not used to sitting yet body is sore and your mind starts going off into a story about the leg cancer you're developing (laughs) sitting still you bow and then you sit right in the middle of the reactivity and you look at it instead of identifying with the reactivity.
0: Oh, reactivity.
1: Otherwise, you're just building hell realms for yourself. Does anybody know what those realms are like? Self-constructed hell realms. There's a story about a warrior uh, named Nobu Shinge who comes to a famous very, very intense Zen master named Hakuin. And uh, the warrior says to Hakuin, can you explain to me uh, heaven and hell? And um, Hakuin says, who are you? And the warrior says, "Uh, I'm a warrior. And Hakuin says, not with that face. (laughs) You have the face of a beggar, not a warrior. And the warrior's blood started boiling. And he reached for his sword. And as he started pulling out his sword, Hakuin said, hell realm. And then he pulled it out a little bit more. And as he was just about to take it out of the sheath, Hakuin said, "Um, that sword is probably so dull, it could never cut me. And he stared right into the warrior's eyes. And the warrior, feeling the intensity of Hakuin's presence, stopped. And started putting the sword back in. And as soon as the sword clicked back into the sheath, Hakuin said, open the gates of heaven. Mm -hmm. So this is happening all the time, right? We're pulling out our sword, and we're in our heaven realm. Why did Gretchen put gluten in the tofu? (laughs) I am going to be so bloated now from the gluten in the tofu. I signed up for a retreat; There was supposed to be no gluten in the tofu, right? And you're pulling out the sword. Pulling out the sword. And then you go, what am I doing? And you stop. You stop and you just see that. Wow. And as soon as you see that, the gates of heaven open. Because this is a heaven realm. We're in a heaven realm. But we're constructing these hell realms all the time. And some of us, we really hide underneath Our political view of how most of the hell realms are structural or social or... And, like, these things are true. And at the same time, when you sit still, you see how much hell you create through these stories. Which are not even, like, I don't want to make it sound like you made up the stories. Because that's the interesting part, is you didn't even really make up most of these stories. You've internalized most of these stories, but they're your responsibility. At a monastery that I visited in Japan, they had a sign over the door when you walk into the monastery that says, look under your own feet. Imagine if that was our main practice. Look under your feet. Watch where you're constructing. You're constructing the hell realm. You know, these realms of heaven and hell are really predominant in Judeo Christian uh, uh, models of thinking. And even though maybe some of us in here don't kind of identify as Judeo Christian, you are. <laughs> We watch Hollywood films, we read novels, we, right? like we're Like we breathing in that culture all the time. It might not be the only culture you breathe in, but it's there even in the, the way our language is constructed. And it's also really in the background of Western psychology. And most of us are very psychological. And one of the ways this comes out in practice is when problems show up on retreat. When problems show up on retreat, sometimes we have this fantasy, I'm going to say it's an unconscious fantasy of purity, that we should be able to work out all our problems. (laughs) And that if we work out our problems and work out the nitty gritty of our problems, then we'll be free. And we don't see that that's like an unconscious story that we tell. And so when problems show up we think we need to get into the problems. But this practice is about unknitting egoic patterns. Undoing the deep patterns in our ego that we're constantly reinforcing by how we think and how we act and how we move. And one of those patterns is focusing on our problems. Focusing on our problems. Has anybody been doing that yet? (laughs) But sometimes going into your problems is going more deeply into stuff you already know. So you're feeling anxiety, we're doing Oryoki practice, you find your breathing, and instead of starting to focus on all the problems of Oriyoki, because it will be projected onto the Oriyoki, you feel the anxiety, the current of the anxiety moving in the body, and you stay with the Oriyoki, and you wake up to the Oriyoki. You wake up to the bowl. You wake up to the rice. You use the bowl. You use the rice to be awake. And then anxiety is happening but you're not superimposing on top of the anxiety your habitual ways of approaching the anxiety. And then something comes from the other side to maybe show you something about the anxiety that you couldn't have seen if you keep going after it in the same way. When you first start sitting your mind is like one of those exploded diagrams. You know, like um, when when I I had a motorcycle with this really amazing um, manual where every single part of the bike was, was exploded into all the intricate pieces, you know. So it made it really easy to fix. So when you first come on retreat, your mind is like this right it's like first it's busy and then you start to see whoa look at all the pieces there's the part of me that really wants to be seen and i'm not being seen don't they know who i am
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the point is is to just keep seeing through and seeing through and seeing through and staying with the experience until space shows up. Like, that's the cool thing about those diagrams. You know the mechanical diagrams I'm talking about. That's the cool thing about those diagrams is space. Space. So I'll say it again, but wanting to fix your problems so they go away has behind it A fantasy of being pure. That's hard to notice. And so instead of wanting our problems to go away, we're just gonna stay with the symptoms, breathing with what's right here until space arises, until space shows up. And this happens all the time in meditation practice. You're staying with your breath, staying with your breath, staying with your breath, and then space it becomes spacious. Maybe some of you aren't there yet. You're still like, oh, I'm just trying to stay with my breath. And all of these rituals of practice, they can really heal us because we've convinced ourselves we're not Buddhas. We're bad people. And so in every moment we wake up, every moment we're bowing, every moment you come back to the breath you're bowing. And if you really bow, if you really feel that, uh, you'll bow and for a moment you'll be snow. And for another moment you'll be the opposite sex. And for another moment you'll be the annoying person near you in the zendo, And then you'll be your dad. And then you'll be a grandparent. And then you'll be you. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then the ego will come in and go, oh, that's me. (laughs) And then you have to bow again. (laughs) The Buddha said about meditation... Uh, Someone who is concentrated will see things as they are. Somebody who is concentrated will see things as they are. As they are is code for as things happen. Somebody who is concentrated will see how things are happening. The English word concentration, I think, is not so great. Because when we think of concentration, we think of holding ourselves really still. In Pali, there's two words for concentration. Well, one of them in Sanskrit is shamatha. But the other is um, samadhi. So this has to do with um, being steady or stabilized or calm. So the way we do this is we're sitting in the zendo, we're feeling our breathing, feeling our breathing. The attention goes off and sticks to narratives. I call this time travel. So your attention's present with the breathing and then it goes off and starts time traveling to the past or to the future, constructing all kinds of realms, all different realms. And then a network in the brain called the salience network lights up and recognizes that this has happened, and then we come back again to the breathing. As the retreat goes on, if you try to stay connected to relaxed breathing, what happens is you'll notice that if you really make that commitment, you'll start not wandering so far. It actually works. You relax your breathing, and you start to Tune in to the way that the breath is pleasurable. You can feel how, even if there's some nervousness or irritation or anger, there's some part of the breath that has in it some pleasure. And you try to stay connected to that. You try to stay connected to the gentle, simple pleasure of breathing. And the breath will start getting softer. And then if something really dominant comes up, like a pain in the knee, then that might take over the breathing for a while and you pay attention to that. And then when that fades a little bit, you come back to the breath. Now once in a while, you'll get hooked into the breathing in such a way where when you stay with it long enough, it gets so soft that you start to forget about it and you just open up to spaciousness. Right? So you don't have to stay with the breath. You're staying with the breath, staying with the breath, staying with it. And then there'll be this natural movement to let go of our breathing and to not keep focusing on the breath. The attention opens up, and there's just spaciousness, and it lasts usually for a few seconds. And then some new thing comes in and kills it, which you've all probably experienced already. And the Buddha said that this practice is very important for vikalpa, which means rumination. So the Buddha recommends mindfulness of a gentle breath for people who have a lot of rumination, which I'm going to say is probably every single person in this room. So if you have a lot of ideation, then... um, Shamatha, mindfulness of breathing, is probably just what the doctor ordered. And it can feel really pleasant to get absorbed in the breath. Um, And that absorbing in the breathing is another example of how trusting in your breathing can start to heal a lot of psychological woundedness. Because sometimes our deeper fears and... Uh, or anger or sadness that's kind of like moving around is always being stirred in the same way. <clears throat> so sometimes when you start trusting something else like the breath a lot of those deeper samskaras or deeper patterns they just get taken care of. And this is called samadhi. Samadhi is when we're just absorbed in this moment. Right here. And there are many ways to translate samadhi. Sam means with or to come together. Adi means one, but di also means to stand. So samadhi means to stand with. Or to stand right in the middle of something. Um, when the term Samadhi goes to China and Japan, a lot of the, the Sanskrit terms, they didn't have corresponding words for, so they would borrow different characters in order to highlight the meaning of the word. So, Samadhi gets translated as densu which actually just means fixity. Which is, again, that way of thinking about concentration I don't like, which is you just fix on something, which is stressful. But the character is really interesting. So the character for for Samadhi, the first part of the character is a period, like a full stop. Literally, stop. Just a round circle stop. And on top of it is a little roof. Stop, protection. So we're spinning our wheels, thinking about the past, thinking about somebody that has done something to you this year that drove you crazy or whatever. That's not samadhi. That's suffering. (laughs) Samadhi is stop, and then to start to learn how when you stop, stop? Protection. But beforehand that stopping seems threatening. We don't think that that stopping is going to protect us. So this is what we do through the whole retreat. We're breathing all the time. We're walking. We're bumping into spaciousness. And we're doing this samadhi practice, which is right in the middle of whatever you're into, whatever you've convinced yourself of. You know, we hire this person to be us and get convinced that that's us. And right in the middle of our identification with that, stop. We stop right there. And when you stop, a roof appears, protects you. That's it. That's how trust develops in the practice. Because we've convinced ourselves, or we've been convinced, that if we stop the war, there'll be no protection. You know what I mean? (laughs) And then we can see how things are. If you want to see through a window, you have to clear, it, clean it. You can't see through a dirty window. Sometimes. We're scared of stopping, because there's a lot of energy in there. Like maybe there's uh, anger that hasn't been processed. And because we don't know how to feel angry, we're really good at cleaning. And we're always on time. And very organized. All strategies, you know, uh, to avoid how we feel. So maybe you're sitting and, whoa, every time I stop, there's a lot of energy there. And that's okay. You're protected. Stop and feel what's there. But remember, we're doing it at a level that's pre-verbal not talking to ourselves about it so much. Because if you're always avoiding some of the deeper feelings you have in your memory, in your body, then you disempower yourself over time. Because you're always in the strategy of managing it all. (laughs) Or maybe you're someone who lives in the past a lot. What happens if you don't live in the past? You know the truth is of what you have now is always better than what you could have had. But we spend so much time worrying about what we could have had. So let me start to wrap up by telling you another Zen story. A student comes to uh, Master Yunmen and says, I'm reaching for the light. Please help me. And Master Yunmen says, Give me the reaching. I'll tell you the story again student comes to Master Yunmin and says, I'm reaching for the light. Please help me. Do you know this feeling? You come on retreat. I'm reaching for the like. I want to be peaceful. <laughs> and Yunmin says, give me the reaching. We have to get to know the reaching. That's what we work with. Don't worry about the peace. Get to know the moment where your heel strikes the floor really hard. Like, oh! Or get to know where you're sitting in the zendo and you're just craving. Craving. Whatever. I don't know. Whatever you crave. You're craving. You fill in the blanks. Was there any craving in the zendo today? (laughs) And then you see like right inside every craving is Buddha. Right inside that craving is the potential of being awake. But if you stay on the surface of the craving, then you miss it. Just like you're walking down the hall and there's a potential for two people to meet. But you're quick, you bow, you go, and you completely miss it. So we're here on retreat, interrupting our normal gaming and losing software.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's nothing to gain. Everybody hear that? Some of us want to gain a special experience and you're the person who's not going to have a special experience Or some of you are scared that if you actually let go of some of these things that you're obsessed with that Mm -hmm. um, You'll be a disaster. You'll be a mess But then you've missed the teaching about trust, which is when you stop protection. Wouldn't that be nice during the day, like if you were walking and it was raining and you're just like, you stop and then this like little roof appears? (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of what it's like. You're sitting, you're in the zendo, It's a difficult set. It's pouring rain through you. That doesn't have to be the only experience. I don't like the rain. You can also just stop. It's raining. And then the roof comes. There's protection. So as I said at the beginning of the talk, Um, I will
0: uh,
1: work through all the talks this retreat, just trying to give you some tips for practice. And maybe some of them you'll connect with and some of them you won't. Um, But this is all to say that uh, when we're here on retreat, we can amp up our practice. And the more you, you amp up your practice, the more you really show up every moment, the more some resistance will come from some part of your personality that doesn't want that.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So then we keep an eye on that also at the same time. So you could be like eating the meal, using your chopsticks and being totally here and really interested and then one second later it's like, I'm not into Oriyoki at all. (laughs) What are we... Do you know what I'm talking about? You know that mind. Heaven realm, hell realm. So watch when you start pulling out that sword. And maybe after a few days of this practice, you'll just know what it feels like to go for the sword. You won't have pulled the whole sword out. You'll just know oh, yeah, going for the sword. just keep coming back to your breathing. Keep coming back to your breath. It's the first day of sitting. Body's not used to it at all. It's like just getting used to sitting, the spine, the hips, and so on. Just keep coming back to your breathing. Find the pleasure in your breathing. It's there. And when you do, and when some concentration starts to develop, protection will show up. A little roof will show up. It's impermanent, but it will show up. And you'll begin to start to trust something that's deeper than all your theories about reality.
0: Thank you.